By the way, I'm working at getting better on like little lines or quips in the beginning of a sermon so I can tell you guys a joke and get everybody warmed up. <laughs> so just know that that's in the works. Because in the future, I'll come up here, I'm going to tell you a joke, and you're going to laugh, and it's going to be hilarious, and then we'll move right into the sermon. So everybody will be nice and warm. I think that's how it works. Uh, so last week, does anybody remember? Anybody? Can anybody tell me what tradition Jewish fathers performed with their kids? Do you remember? Yes, that. I could go a lot of different directions with that. With unleavened bread. For <laughs> celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread. The flashlights of the kids, right? And the, the leaven represented what? Sin. Sin. Good. Anybody remember what feast Jesus died on? Passover. Passover, yes. And if Jesus was the first fruit of those who were raised from the dead, who was Adam and Eve the first fruits of? Those who would die from sin, yes? Good, 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 good. <clears throat> so today, the message title is The Promise, the Law, and the Guide. So I thought it was pretty neat. You guys, you guys like that title? <laughs> yes, good title. Once again, on you version. Um, check the message on you version. You can follow along. Pretty much everything that is said, we are going right along with that. So if you got it, great. If not, the verses will be on the board, courtesy of Sean and Keynote. So today we are going to talk about, once again, the connection that we have to God as it relates to his covenant with mankind, his covenant with the Israelites, and then his covenant expressed to all believers through Jesus. So covenant is something that we get a little bit of in our culture. We get a little bit of covenant. It's like every once in a while you'll enter into an agreement with someone, but most of the time people can back out of an agreement, whether it's divorce or bankruptcy, dissolving of a partnership, whatever it is. There are ways out of every covenant that we have in our society. So it means a little bit something different than it did way back when. Way back when, the way that they used to symbolize a covenant was they would take two animals and they would cut them in half and lay one half on either altar. And then each person would walk in between the two altars. And what that was signifying was, if I break this covenant, may I be like these animals. Cut in half. So it was a huge deal. Men were putting their hand underneath other men's like back thigh. So it was like, you didn't enter into that just willy-nilly, right? <laughs> so, but these are the covenants. The way that people were entering into these covenants, it was a big deal. <laughs> Maybe I should have opened with that. <laughs> so, but the covenant, uh, the covenant that God made uh, with Israel is one thing, but very few of us actually recognize, remember, including myself, that God actually made a covenant with Adam. Two. Adam had a covenant. And so Adam's name means man. He named them mankind. God made a covenant with mankind. Okay? We have to recognize that. The covenant was made with mankind. So Adam was the first. People came through him, and then yes, there was a specific nation that was chosen through whom the deliverer would come, right? But the covenant was originally with who? <clears throat> Adam. Mankind, absolutely. 
So what we're doing in understanding a little bit more about the covenant that God has with Israel and the covenant that God fulfilled through Jesus and is fulfilling through Jesus, we're also wanting to understand, okay, what if you weren't an Israelite, right? And you want to know a little bit more about the background of the covenant. Like, did, did Jesus just kind of appear and then you get to believe in him, right? What was the need for Jesus to come along? Were we Gentiles without a cause, without a purpose, living on this earth, not being Jews, really wandering around, kind of hoping that something would happen? Or was there a covenant made from the very beginning, and this whole story involves all of us? All of us, Jew or Gentile, right? The covenant was made with Adam. So last week we talked about the three feasts, unleavened bread, Passover, and firstfruits. We talked about how Adam fulfilled those three feasts, or they were fulfilled with Adam and Eve in the garden. The Passover, the first Passover that happened, was when an animal had to be killed and a covering was placed over the sin, right? The Feast of Unleavened Bread was celebrated, God looking through the garden, finding the sin. Once sin was found, having to get, expel the sin, right? Mm -hmm. That happened. And then the first fruits, them leaving the garden, the first fruits of those who would die because of their sin. So next in line is the Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks. You see here, Passover, Unleavened Bread, first fruits. And we've got Pentecost. That's what we're studying this week. This week is entirely devoted just to Pentecost. Keep going. Amen. Good, good. Okay, here we go. So we're going to look at what happened to Adam and Eve. Let's do a little refresher. Turn to Genesis 3, 21. If you get to Revelation, you've gone too far. I'm on a roll today. Man, he likes it. 321. This is good stuff today. I, I was blessed by this. So the Lord God caused the man... Is that 3? No, 321. Sorry. Uh, the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. Justin, would you grab the door? Yes. The Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. And the Lord God said, The man has now become like one of us, knowing good and evil. He must not be allowed to reach out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever. Now, I used to read that and think, you know, well, it's like, it's almost like man almost got there. They almost got to get that tree of life and then they would have lived forever. So is God stopping them from living forever? No. How do we know that God wasn't just trying to stop them from living forever? Because that's what Jesus came to allow us to do, to live forever. So it wasn't his desire to just stop us from living forever. It was his desire for us to deal with sin, for that to be dealt with, and for that not to be our eternal state in decay and death because of sin. Okay? So the Lord God banished him from the Garden of Eden to work the ground from which he had been taken. After he drove the man out, he placed on the east side of the Garden of Eden cherubim and a flaming sword flashing back and forth to guard the way to the Tree of Life. So... Adam and Eve, we know the state, right? They sinned, they were thrown out of the garden, and now the story continues. Is the covenant broken? Has God broken his covenant with Adam? No. Adam did not honor the covenant, right? He chose to disobey the covenant. But what does the Bible say about our God if we are faithless? He remains faithful because he cannot disown himself. So our God continued with the covenant. The story continued, and the process of redemption began. 
when Adam and Eve broke the covenant and were exited from the Garden of Eden, the process of redemption began. And so, how would redemption happen? Tilling the field. That was their curse, tilling the field and, and having to work with thorns and the sweat of their brow, right? Labor, pain. Pain and labor, you're getting close, through childbirth. A child would have to come. The deliverer would come through Eve, right? And she would be saved through childbirth. That's not saying that only if women have birth can they be saved. But she will be saved through childbirth, meaning a deliverer would come through that line. Through the line of Adam and Eve, a deliverer would come to ultimately redeem them back and recover what was lost because of the broken covenant. Okay? So you have the deliverer coming through that line. Now, Adam and Eve have a couple of baby boys. First one's name is Cain. Second one's name is Abel. We know the story of what happened with Cain and Abel. Why don't we read it anyways? Genesis 4. Adam lay with his wife, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, With the help of the Lord I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Now at this point, Eve may be thinking, Adam and Eve both may be thinking, a deliverer may come. We had a baby. This could be it. This could be the deliverer that brings about redemption. Okay? They had a baby, just like God commanded them to do. So maybe this will make things right. But let's keep reading. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. But on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. So Cain was very angry and his face was downcast. Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you, why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must master it. Who knows but that maybe Cain was originally supposed to have a role of being a deliverer. Who knows? We don't know. We'll never know. Because Cain allowed sin to master him. Let's keep reading. Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know, he replied. Am I my brother's keeper? The Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you. You will be a restless wanderer on the earth. Cain said to the Lord, My punishment is more than I can bear. Today you are driving me from the land, and I will be hidden from your presence. I will be a restless wanderer on the earth, and whoever finds me will kill me. But the Lord said to him, Not so. If anyone kills Cain, he will suffer vengeance seven times over. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain so that no one who found him would kill him. So Cain went out from the Lord's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. So, it's ruined. They've messed it up. Adam and Eve now, not only did they lose their good son, Abel, who had the Lord's favor, but Cain killed him. And so now Cain is cursed. So what will happen? They were entrusted to be fruitful and multiply. They were in hopes that a deliverer would come. But now the two sons that they have are gone. One is cursed forever and the other one is dead. So now what will they do? They are hopeless. They have no hope. If they can't produce another child through whom the deliverer can come or who would be the deliverer, then they're hopeless. There is no hope of them being restored. Death is coming because now their bodies are mortal. Now their bodies are temporary. And if something doesn't happen, 
then they'll be cursed forever and they'll die in their sin and there will be no chance for redemption for mankind. So what happens? They have another son. Look at verse 25. Adam lay with his wife again and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. Anybody see a footnote? There, at the bottom. Seth's name means granted, appointed, anointed. That's what Seth's name means. Now, Adam and Eve had other kids. They had other, other children. There were other people on the earth. But the Bible specifically mentions Seth. The Bible specifically mentions his name, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain killed him. They did not look at this as no one can replace Cain or Abel. This is a different child that can't be replaced. Why were they looking to replace? Now, in place of, why? Because a deliverer had to come. The role of deliverer had to be filled. It had to be. So that the covenant could be maintained, restored, redeemed. They were looking for that deliverer to come. So when Seth came, Adam, praise the Lord, I had another baby. We had another son. Now we can begin the process of redemption again. The Lord can do what he promised he would do. Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. I love this. The Bible specifically at this time, and this is uncharacteristic of the language that is being used up until this point, but it stops and it says, at that time, men began to call on the name of the Lord. Something happened before Seth, after Adam. Somewhere in between there when men didn't call on the name of the Lord or stopped calling on the name of the Lord. But when Seth came, something happened. Men began to call on the name of the Lord. Something happened during that time. The process of redemption could continue. Because ultimately, who do you think came through Seth? Jesus, our Redeemer, our Restorer, the Deliverer, came through him. Now... You guys know that I like names and the meaning of names. So I'm going to tell you what the names mean. From Adam to Noah. It's important that we understand <coughs> what takes place between Adam and Noah. Adam is the first man. Noah and his family were the only people that, were, that survived the flood, right? Yeah. So you have Adam and to Noah. It doesn't matter who else existed in between there. Because after Noah, we then have an account of everyone else that comes from them. Shem, Ham, and Japheth, his three sons. Everybody that's on the face of planet Earth right now came from those three sons. Okay? From Shem came the Jewish people. The promise came through Shem. And it was the, the promise was as part of the blessing that Noah gave to Shem after, um, after Ham made fun of him when he was naked and drunk. Then Shem and Japheth got the, the blessing, right? And then the nations from there had those blessings that were initiated by Noah to all the peoples of the earth. So if you weren't in Shem's line, you didn't take place in that blessing. Does that make sense? You weren't a part of that blessing because Noah gave a blessing to Shem and the nations that came from Shem got that blessing. The other nations had a different blessing. So where did our blessing lie? Where was our covenant? It had to have happened between Adam and Noah. We know that it was given to Adam. And so what we're talking about in these feasts, it should be able to fit. The seven feasts should be able to fit in between Adam and Noah. From Adam to Noah, you should see a full picture 
of the covenant of God with all of mankind. Because only if it happens in that time frame can we see that it applies, yes, to all of mankind. I believe that at this point, Seth was given. Seth was the connection between what man could not do in his own strength. Right? We saw what man did in his own strength with Cain and Abel. There was, there was deceit. There was envy. There was jealousy. There was rage. There was murder. But when God gave, granted, Seth, men began to call on the name of the Lord. God stepped in and intervened to make sure that his covenant was kept with mankind. So Adam's name means man. Seth means appointed, anointed. Enosh, his son, means mortal. Kenan means sorrow. Mahalalel means the blessed God. If you guys remember that Ha, the breath of God, the Ruach HaKodesh, the Holy Spirit, the power that's in that breath, when he institutes like Abram's name is changed to Abraham, Sarai's name is changed to Sarah, that breath of God that's included in those names, the blessing, Mahalel's, mean, Mahalel's name means the blessed God. You have El, which means God, the one, the one, and then Ha inside there, the power of the Holy Spirit. So the blessed God, Mahalel's son, Jared, means shall come. Enoch's name means teaching. Methuselah means his death shall bring, or his death shall bring judgment, through him judgment will come. Lamech means despair, and then Noah's name means comfort. So when you put these together, you have man is anointed, appointed, or called out, but is mortal. So there's death, and there is sorrow. The blessed God shall come down teaching, and his death shall bring despair and comfort. Despair for those who don't receive it. Comfort for those who do. That's the genealogy of the names from Adam to Noah. Inside there, Seth is appointed, anointed, granted. That is God stepping in and making sure it continues. That is a representation of our Pentecost before Noah lands after the flood. But now we're going to take a, a look at the official Pentecost, the first one that happened to the Israelites when they were in the desert. So let's turn to Exodus 32. The Hebrew name for Pentecost is Sabot. Sabot. Very good and strong name. This is a blessing to the Jewish people. They look at this as a time to celebrate, a time to be happy, a time to celebrate the in-between in time of the harvest. They're thankful to God. They come rejoicing. All of these feasts are instituted by God as celebrations, a time of drawing near to God. He wants us to celebrate, to have fun. He's not a God of, mm, I have no joy. He's a God that gives joy. He's a God that gives celebration, <laughs> institutes party. In fact, I would say that the way that God likes to celebrate is infinitely better than the world knows how to celebrate. They try to get it right, but it ends with you feeling drained, exhausted, tired, guilty, right? Unless you become completely immune to it because you've just sinned for so long and then you don't care anymore. But when you celebrate with God, it leaves you feeling fulfilled, purposeful, leaves you feeling joyful in a way that the world can't imitate. So God instituted these celebrations. 
the very first one started off as a pretty sad story. So Moses was up on the mountain visiting with God. And there was a reason he was up there. Right? So Pentecost means the 50th day. The Feast of Weeks. There are seven weeks in between when the last festival happens there, the Feast of First Fruits, and when Passover, or when uh, Pentecost happens. So there's 50 days in between there. That's why, you don't have to go back, but that's why there's a gap in between the first three feasts, and then when Pentecost happens, and then remember another big gap, and then you got the last three feasts. So Pentecost, the very first one, this is where it all began. So stick with me here. We're going to read through this. When the people saw that Moses was so long in coming down from the mountain, they gathered around Aaron and said, Come, make us gods. Who will go before us? As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. These guys just saw crazy miracles happen in Egypt. They were delivered through a sea that parted, and then it closed on their enemies. Right? Fifty days later, they're waiting for Moses to come down a mountain, and they say, We don't know what's happened to Moses. We need to get some more gods. This is what's going on with the Israelites. Anytime I think, man, those Israelites, they were so stupid. I always remember they're totally a picture of me, right? The Israelites are totally a picture of us. Aaron answered them, take off the gold earrings that your wives, your sons, and your daughters. Aaron is the first priest. Aaron is the one that's like, yeah, you guys make a good point. Everybody go ahead and take off their jewelry. Let's make ourselves a golden calf. So all the people took off their earrings and brought them to Aaron. He took what they handed him and made it into an idol, cast into the shape of a calf, fashioning it with a tool. Then they said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. By the way, if you're wondering, why did they make a calf? That was one of the gods that was from out of Egypt. Uh, he took, uh, let's see. When Aaron saw this, verse 5, he built an altar in front of the calf and announced, Tomorrow there will be a festival to the Lord. So the next day the people rose early and sacrificed burnt offerings and presented fellowship offerings. Afterward, they sat down to eat and drink and got up to indulge in revelry. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down, because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, O Israel, and brought you up out of Egypt. That's interesting language. This past Wednesday, someone asked the question, Why did Saul say, Pray to the Lord your God so that I might be forgiven? So that I might be restored. Someone asked, why did he say your God? Wasn't it his God too? And here, what does God say to Moses about the people? Go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. Right? So God at this point is kind of like, these are your people. I don't know. Not my fault. When there's sin, there is a separation. That's why that is. That's why Saul felt that way. Even in Leviticus, the language is when someone sins, they are sent outside the camp. They are sent away from the presence of the Lord. Someone disobeys in touching the altar of God, and they're killed instantly. There's this idea of separation from God when sin abounds, right? That's no different than here. God recognizes it and acknowledges it. That's why he speaks that way. Verse 9, I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and I may destroy them. Then I'll make you into a great nation. So at this point, God is saying, Moses, get out of the way. I'm going to destroy all these people right now. But Moses sought the favor of the Lord his God. Oh Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger. 
anger. Relent and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land. I promise them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. You guys see what Moses did there? He recalled the covenant that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He reasoned with God, and God changed his mind about destroying these people. That's pretty intense. God remained faithful to his covenant. Now, could it have also been said, even if he would have destroyed those people and made Moses into a great nation, that technically, technically, he still would have been fulfilling that promise? Is that right? Yes. God still would have been faithful. But God was merciful, right? God was merciful in this moment and spared the entire nation of Israel when he was this close to destroying them. Moses turned and went down the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hands. This is the first Pentecost. The tablets were the work of God. The writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people shouting, he said, There is the sound of war in the camp. Moses replied, It is not the sound of victory. It is not the sound of defeat. It is the sound of singing that I hear. When Moses approached the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, his anger burned, and he threw the tablets out of his hands, breaking them to pieces at the foot of the mountain. And he took the calf they had made and burned it in the fire. Then he ground it into powder, powder, scattered it on the water, and made the Israelites drink it. He said to Aaron, What did these people do to you that you led them into such great sin? Do not be angry, my lord, Aaron answered. You know how prone these people are to evil. They said to me, Make us gods who will go before us. As for this fellow Moses who brought us out of Egypt, we don't know what has happened to him. So I told them, Whoever has any gold jewelry, take it off. Then they gave me the gold and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. It's a miracle. <laughs> Moses saw that the people were running wild and that Aaron had let them get out of control and so become a laughing stock to their enemies. So he stood at the entrance to the camp and said, Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. And all the Levites rallied to him. Then he said to them, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each man, strap a sword to his side, go back and forth through the camp from one end to the other, each killing his neighbor and friend and neighbor, or his brother and friend and neighbor. The Levites did as Moses commanded, and that day about 3,000 of the people died. The Moses, then Moses said, You have been set apart today for the Lord, for you were against your own sons and brothers, and he has blessed you this day. Was it that he was that they were against their sons and brothers or for the Lord? It's for the Lord. For the Lord. The next day Moses said to the people, You have committed a great sin, but now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses went back to the Lord and said, Oh, what a great sin these people have committed. They have made themselves gods of gold. But now, please forgive their sin. But if not, then blot me out of the book you have written. The Lord replied to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. Now go, lead the people to the place I spoke of, and my angel will go before you. However, when the time comes for me to punish, I will punish them for their sin. <clears throat> so that was the first Pentecost. They were brought up out of Egypt. To what? To enter into the promised land. To take hold of it. To enter into all that God has called them to. To be delivered. To be redeemed. To be restored. But they blew it. They blew it. And the first Pentecost, what was happening? 
God was giving them the law. God was giving them guidelines. Here is how you do it. Here is how you live. This is how you live. This will be the connection between your basic instinct and what you are, uh, what your own strength can provide you, and then what I am calling you to. The law is the link for the people. Now, what did the law bring, though, on that first Pentecost? Death. When that law came, the righteous law of God, the first Pentecost was marked by death. And how many people died? 3,000 people. And on that day, the Lord set apart the Levites for His purpose. That's what was happening on the first Pentecost. Now, flash forward. After Jesus, you would think, so there's going to be a special Pentecost, right? I mean, if He died on Passover, if He was raised to life on the, on, the first, on the Feast of First Fruits, right? If unleavened bread was happening when he was in hell, found to be with no sin and restored to the righteous right hand of the Father, if that's what was happening in the first three feasts, then something amazing must be happening on Pentecost, right? The day that Pentecost happens, something amazing must be happening. Well, thank God that we serve a God who caused something amazing to happen. Turn to Acts 1.15. Now, if you guys remember... A little bit of trivia. Anybody know approximately to how many people Jesus appeared to when he raised from the dead? Five hundred. What was that? <clears throat> Seven? More. Five hundred. There you go. Acts one fifteen. So Jesus raised from the dead. Raised from the dead. Walking around. Shows himself to 500 people. So that would mean like if I woke up tomorrow, walked outside, and Abraham Lincoln was walking around. And I was like, Abraham Lincoln? And he's like, yes, it's me. I have come back to tell you, go to town hall and tell the people to repent of their sins. I'd be like, you got it. I'll go to the town hall the next day, right? I just saw Abraham Lincoln raised from the dead. These guys saw... Jesus, who claimed to be the Savior of the world, back from the dead, after they saw him bloodied and beaten. How do we know that, that they saw him? Because it's 50 days later, right? How do we know that, that these, these same people had seen him? How do we know? Because everybody was there, remember? Everybody was required to come back to Jerusalem for the Feast of Unleavened Bread. They were required to be there. So they were there when Jesus was crucified. They know that he was killed. And then he appeared to them while they were still there celebrating the feast because it continued for the whole week. So he raised, he, they saw him crucified, they were still in town, they saw him raised to life. God had planned that for thousands of years, it was planned. So that when Jesus came and died, everybody would see him and no one would have excuse, right? So five, over 500 people see him in Acts 1.15. In those days, Peter stood up among the believers, a group numbering about 120. Now this is... This is when, this is when they're in, in the upper room. You look in verse 13. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip, and Thomas, Bartholomew, Matthew, James, Simon, Judas. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. But there was only 120. So something happened in between Jesus appearing from the dead to over 500 people, and then there only being 120 up in this upper room. What had happened? 
My thought, you go back to Moses. Yeah, you know, Moses brought us out of Egypt, but now he's been gone. We don't know what happened to him. Now what do we do, right? Guess we better go back to what we were doing before. 120 people, because Jesus commanded them all to stay in Jerusalem, to go and pray and wait for the Spirit, but only 120 remained. 380 people at least fell off the grid. We're no longer there. It seemed like it was falling apart. It seemed like it just wasn't working. Now, we know the story, but imagine what it was like for them, right? Jesus leaves, goes off in the clouds. Well, what do we do now, right? Even Peter, when Jesus died, went back to fishing. Jesus comes back to life and comes back to him and is like, Hey, didn't you listen to anything I told you? Come on, come get to work. So Peter had already been through that, but these other 500 people that had seen Jesus back from the dead... They chose to abandon him. Maybe things got hard. Maybe they got busy. Maybe something else came up, right? And they had to go do, do something else. Maybe they just stopped believing. It's like, I think I heard from God, but maybe I didn't. Wasn't that, was that Jesus? Maybe it wasn't. Maybe it was a guy who looked like him. I don't know, right? Whatever it was, they justified not being there in the upper room. But on Pentecost, the day that Pentecost happened, turn to chapter 2. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly, a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Why were they there? It's Pentecost. They're required to be there. The required feast to be in Jerusalem. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard them speaking in his own language. Now, what was the miracle there? That they were all speaking different languages, or that all these people who spoke different languages heard them in their own tongue? Who knows? It could have been either. Utterly amazed, they asked, are not all these men who were speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in his own native languages? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. I just kind of blacked out as I read all those. Did I get them all right? <laughs> Amazed and perplexed, they asked one another, what does this mean? Some, however, made fun of them and said, they have had too much wine. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice, and addressed the crowd. This is Peter. This is Peter who used to jump out and jump to be the first and would often get reprimanded by Jesus. Jumps out on the water. That's great. Falls in. How small is your faith? Strikes the soldier's ear. Right? Cuts it off. Peter, those who live by the sword will die by the sword. Peter jumps out. Jesus, no! I won't let you go to the cross. And he says, get behind me, Satan. Peter has a history of jumping out in front and Jesus saying, wrong time, wrong thing, right? <laughs> but at this point, he jumps out. Might make you think, God doesn't necessarily want to take you and throw it in the trash and come up with something brand new. He wants to take you who he designed you to be and get rid of all the extra crap and then leave it, just be you, the way he created you to be, and then he can use that. That way you're not in the way. But you still get to be everything you were created to be. Mm. Doesn't something resonate inside of you about that? Yeah. It does me. 
Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. No, this is what was spoken of by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. These little boys who had studied the Old Testament, what we call the Old Testament, right? These little boys who had grown up to be apostles, disciples, they saw all these things that they had read about when they were little starting to come true. They were happening now. They were watching these things unfold. It would be the eternally better than the Cubs winning. It, it, something that no one ever thought would happen, but it finally happens. And no one knows what to do with themselves. But thank God they were just given the Holy Spirit. Even on my servants, both men and women, verse 18, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood. Anybody from the Revelation teaching remember that? Before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him. As you yourselves know, this man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. Now when Peter uses that language, God, was, God uh, handed, allowed Jesus to be handed over to you by his set purpose and foreknowledge. This is recalling that this was planned long ago. God had this in mind long ago. And it makes sense with the covenant that he established with Adam, that a deliverer would come. And it makes sense that God would bring that deliverer through, not Cain, not Abel, but Seth. And this deliverer comes as it looks over and over again as if it won't make it, that the line will be broken, that the nation will be dissolved, that it will never happen, that the covenant will never be fulfilled that God made with Adam. All of a sudden, from out of 400 years of silence, a Messiah appears, Jesus. And God knew all along. God knew all along what he was doing. And when Jesus came, it was the fulfilling of the covenant to this faithless people who he almost destroyed multiple times, but kept them alive and carried out what he said he would do. 24. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. What was it that had to be defeated and destroyed that Adam and Eve allowed into mankind? Death. death. And Jesus destroyed it. It was all part of the plan. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Peter is drawing the past, the genealogy, the history. He's drawing in this all into it so that they can get the picture. Therefore, my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. David even knew that a Messiah, a deliverer, would come. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Brothers, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. For those people who thought that an immediate son of David, or that someone down the road other than Jesus would be the Messiah, he's telling, he's telling them, listen, David was finite. He was, he's dead and buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet, 
and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. That's the Davidic covenant. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of Christ, of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel... By the way, Peter had heard Jesus say this same, uh, this same little story about David not being the Lord, but saying, The Lord said to my Lord. Peter was recognizing, began to recognize what all of this meant and what his place was in all of it. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart. And Peter and the other, and said to the Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, now having the answer. Peter, who had not had the answer before, now he had the answer. Did it just come from nowhere? No, the Holy Spirit gave it to him. He says, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. This is the second Pentecost. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise for, is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them, save yourselves from this corrupt generation. How many people died on the first Pentecost? Those who accepted his message were baptized and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Hallelujah. <laughs> Hallelujah. The first Pentecost, when the law was given, brought death. But when the Spirit came, it brought life. The Spirit came and was a representation of the fulfillment of the covenant that God had made with mankind 4,000 years prior to that. Now it was finally being fulfilled all in Jesus, and the power from that is sent out to all who would believe in Him and is available to us even to this day. That same power that we can live in that raised Jesus from the dead is at work within us. That's the power that we sing about when we sing forever. That same power that we sing about in that song, the power of the Spirit that lives inside of us, that we might see much greater things as we embrace your love. That's what we sing about. This Holy Spirit is the connection between what man was not able to do in his own strength and what God was calling him to do. It is the fulfillment of this broken covenant by man, the fulfillment of it by God, taking man and simply saying, I recognize that you can't do it. I'll give you this and make you able to do it. Mm -hmm. That's what you see. The first three feasts we had, the first one, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, right? Or, I'm sorry, you have the Passover. The Passover is happening first, right? You come to Jesus just as you are. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, the process of examining and getting that sin out, ridding yourself of these things that don't look like Jesus. The Feast of first fruits. we then live out of that as a representation of those who have been redeemed by Christ. Time goes by. We recognize, I'm not capable of doing this on my own. I can't do it on my own. And then what happens? The power of the Holy Spirit is given to you to enable you to do what you can't do in your own strength. That's Pentecost. That's the picture of our salvation. That's the picture of the redemption of mankind, of the Israelites, and of all believers. That is what that is. This is what we are studying. This is the book that we put all of our hope in and the God that we serve. This is what we are talking about. 
Turn to John 15. Almost done. Look at verse 26. Man made the chapters. So, so we'll jump back to kind of part of the same thing that Jesus was talking about. So when the counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you must also testify, for you have been with me from the beginning. This is Jesus going back to him. It's almost kind of like from where we were as the Holy Spirit came and Peter was talking to the people and 3,000 people were saved. I wonder if in a time of reflection... He sat down and remembered what Jesus told him about the Holy Spirit. Kind of looked back and remembered, Jesus told us that this would happen. Verse 1 and 16. All this I have told you so that you will not go astray. They will put you out of the synagogue. In fact, a time is coming when anyone who kills you will think he is offering a service to God. They will do such things because they have not known the Father or me. I have told you this so that when the time comes, you will remember that I warned you. I did not tell you this at first because I was with you. Now I am going to him who sent me, yet none of you ask me, where are you going? Because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. But I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the counselor will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. <clears throat> when he comes, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. In regard to sin, because men do not believe in me. In regard to righteousness, because I am going to the Father where you can see me no longer. And in regard to judgment, because the prince of this world now stands condemned. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. <clears throat> but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. This is what he does. He will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears me speak. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. So he will make known what God is saying. He will guide you into truth. And he will tell you things that are to come. This is what the Holy Spirit does. He will bring glory to me by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. <clears throat> All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will take from what is mine and make it known to you. Now, if the story ended with Pentecost, that would be a great story. Right? Man, God has already done enough. Right? Up to that point, Jesus came back from the dead. 3,000 people were saved. If that was the end right there, that would be awesome. But you must recognize that during that time, the Israelites, as a whole, as a nation, right, were a picture of the Redeemer coming. It did not end with them there. Why? Because Adam was not an Israelite. Adam was a man. Adam represented mankind. The story did not begin and end with Israel. The story begins and ends with man. And so the promise and the fulfillment of that promise needs to be taking place for mankind as a whole. So what was the point? The Holy Spirit given to these believers on that day, the point was then for them to take that out and go and spread the news to all of mankind that their Redeemer had come and that the covenant was being fulfilled. That news now that the Holy Spirit would enable them to spread now was the message for all of mankind. It happened. Your Redeemer came. Yes, it came through the nation of Israel. Yes, yes, yes. But it's your Redeemer for all of mankind. That original covenant that was made with mankind, it happened. It was fulfilled. Yes, He came through Israel. Yes, He came as a Jew. Yes, right, yeah. But He was your Savior. Mm. He's the Savior of all mankind. Mm. 
not just the Savior of the Jews, right? But God uses the imagery represented in that nation to teach us the lesson for all of us to apply. Uh, go, to, um, go to Romans 8, and then we'll finish. And this is the comfort. Hmm... Boy, I, have, I don't know about you guys, but I have markings all over this chapter. I got all sorts of highlights and underlines and stars. And Maybe you're like one of my friends and you say, I don't want to mark in my Bible. That's okay. But for me, it's like I can't. I just Yes, yes, that is good. Romans 8. If you don't have it highlighted and you don't mind highlighting, I'd circle that. Remember this. Therefore, there is now. This is the message for everyone. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The curse is broken because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit of life set me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do in that it was weakened by the sinful nature, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful man to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin and sinful man in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the sinful nature, but according to the Spirit. Was the law bad that was given to the Israelites on that day? No. But what happened? Their sin was exposed by that law. And so the death that had been instituted thousands of years before that was glaring. And it brought about death. You can't fulfill all the terms of this law. You are, unable, you are incapable of doing that on your own. And so it brings about death. And we see an actual picture of that happening with the Levites killing 3,000 of their own people on that day. Paul is using this language. is trying to connect the law and the Spirit. Paul knew that it was the first Pentecost when the law was given. Paul knew that it was the second Pentecost when the Spirit came. He knew these things. So the imagery and the wording that he's using is clearly painting a picture for us to see. Those who live according, verse 5, to the sinful nature have their minds set on what the nature desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind of sinful man is death, but the mind controlled by the Spirit is life and peace. Amen. The sinful mind is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those controlled by the sinful nature cannot please God. You, however, speaking to those who have received Jesus, are controlled not by the sinful nature, but by the Spirit. If the Spirit of God lives in you, and if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. I am dead to sin, alive in Christ. I am not a slave to sin anymore. I am a slave to righteousness. I have exchanged the rules and borders and limits and curses and consequences of this flesh and this world for the new rules and consequences of being a slave to righteousness. That is what I submit to. I no longer submit to the prince of the air, the ruler of this world, Satan. I now submit to the ruler of the universe, the king of my life, the king of this, the true king of this world, who will, who will be shown on the day that he returns. That's who I submit to. But if Christ is in you, your body is dead because of sin, yet your spirit is alive because of righteousness. And if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. 
Therefore, brothers, we have an obligation, but it is not to the sinful nature to live according to it. Which kind of flies in the face of, hey, that's just me, i got to do it when it comes to sin. Hey, that's just me, that's just how I am, that's what I do. I'm sorry. That's not true. The Bible makes that clear. For if you live according to the sinful nature, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. That's why Paul says, I beat my body and make it my slave. Because those who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive a spirit that makes you a slave again to fear, but you received the spirit of sonship, and by, we, by him we cry, Abba, Father. Abba was the term that the little Jewish children used for their father, like Daddy. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs. Amen. Heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Guys, these, uh, these feasts paint a beautiful picture for us. It helps us to understand the character of God. Understanding the covenant that he made from the beginning of time is important. Why? Because it concerns us. These things concern us. That didn't really have anything to do with me. Not this. This does. This has a lot to do with you. Everything to do with you. In fact, your entire story is summed up inside of the process of redemption. Why? Because if you are truly dead to the flesh, dead to sin, then the old life is gone. Gone. It doesn't matter anymore. The only way that it matters is in as much as it is part of your testimony that God has delivered you and what He has delivered you from. Amen. Proof for those you speak to and instill hope in, because how can you instill hope in somebody unless you've been delivered out of something? Hallelujah. Right? Because if you're talking to someone who is in a pit, and you say to them, man, I really think you'll be able to do it. I really think you can do it. Right? That's different than saying, I was in that pit. Amen. Here's how I got out. Amen. This is how I got out. Look behind you right there. Climb on that step. Use that, and then you can get out. Amen. That's hope. That's hope. When you have been somewhere and you are delivered out of it, you have the ability to speak and instill hope. Amen. Does that make sense? Yes. Right? Hallelujah. So that's what we have. That's why it says we will overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the power of our testimony. That's why it's powerful. Because we've been delivered from something Amen. and can therefore speak authoritatively Amen. to those who are still in it. Does that make sense? Yes. That's how we overcome. And it's not by our own power. That power of our testimony is the deliverance, yes. is the redemption, yes. is the restoration that we've received because of Christ. That's where our power comes from. That's where the covenant is executed, is in Christ. And that's where it's fulfilled. So we can stand. It's done. It's done. The work is done. The battle has been won already. Yes. There's no reason for us to fear. Why would we be afraid? Yeah? Death doesn't have a hold over us anymore. We're no longer slaves to sin. We don't fear as the world fears. But we await a coming kingdom. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. We are so thankful for everything that you've done. So thankful for the picture that you paint for us. We see you at work, and sometimes we forget. But Lord, in this moment, right now, <clears throat> as it's so clear on our minds, as it's so fresh, please instill this in a permanent way 
engrave it into our hearts and our minds so that when times get hard, when we start to doubt, that time in between, when we step up and say, I'll be a representation of everything that God has done. And when that deliverance comes, when that help comes, Lord, may we be found faithful. In each of those processes and situations in our own life, when we find ourselves in between that stance for God and being proud of everything that He's done, and when that help comes in each situation in our own lives, Lord, may we not falter as did Cain and Abel, as did the Israelites waiting at the bottom of Mount Sinai, as did the other 380 who fell away before the upper room. May we not falter during that time, but Lord, may we wait faithfully for the help that surely comes in each situation we find ourselves in. Lord, we believe in you. We believe in your power. We believe in your Holy Spirit. We accept and we receive your deliverance. And Lord, we are saying, use us. Use us and do whatever you want to do. Do whatever you want to do with us. Use us in whatever way you see fit. Whatever way pleases you. You have more than earned that right in us. And that is why we say you are worthy. You are worthy to receive glory and honor and praise and power. And we bless your name. As we go from here, Lord, I pray that we would operate without fear. That we would operate in unity as a body of believers. Lord, both collectively inside this room for those who couldn't be here today and then for the body of believers all around the world. May we recognize that we are a part of something that is alive, active, moving, breathing, and is being used to bring your kingdom to this earth. You are worthy, God. And we lift your name up today. We pray that you will be brought glory in all that we do and say. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.